0: Yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. These are the words of instruction given to Ruth by her mother-in-law Naomi in the third chapter of the biblical book that bears Ruth's name. They sound strange to us. You can't help but wonder at the instructions that Naomi is giving here, and maybe ask why she is so specific about somebody's feet. But. What if I were to tell you that those instructions do not mean what you may think that they mean? This is Retelling the Bible. Now, this week's episode is a special after-dark edition of Retelling the Bible. Because we take the Bible seriously around here, sometimes we need to deal with the very adult themes that are found in some of the stories. These themes are often hidden by liberal use of euphemisms and other misdirections, of course. But maybe it is time to strip away some of those things and deal with what everyone would have understood back then with a little wink and a nod. All of this is a way of saying that this episode is extremely biblical. And so parental and listener discretion is advised. Episode 2.3 What Happens on the Threshing Floor of the barley harvest was always a chaotic time, and the overseer of Boaz's estate always looked forward to it with a mix of dread and excitement. Boaz had the largest farm in the entire region of Bethlehem. He had done rather well for himself because of the recent famine in the area. Bethlehem had always been known for the excellence and quality of its barley crops, Indeed, that was why the place was even called Bethlehem, which meant House of Bread. But there had been a series of crop failures over the last decade, and many of his neighbors, some of whom were relations of his, had struggled to make it through. Some had sickened and died. Some were sold into slavery for their debts. And others migrated to various places, looking for a new start. Boaz, having more resources on hand than anyone else, had taken advantage of the situation by buying up a number of fields and properties. Sometimes he made financial arrangements with the families, or sometimes he just took over what had been abandoned, and would continue to control it until some competent male from the family showed up to claim it, however unlikely that seemed in most cases so as the years went by boaz had planted more and more land under barley and when the time of crop failures had passed he prospered accordingly but it meant that harvest time was always incredibly busy for boaz's overseer he would start weeks ahead of time arranging to hire other farmers who had small holdings drifters, and other lowlifes to work the harvest. It was long, hard work for all of them, and it didn't pay very well. They would start working as soon as the sun rose, and it was back-breaking labor, harvesting, gathering, threshing, and winnowing. There were hardly any breaks until the sun went down, and then everyone would just camp out on the threshing floor, until it all started again the next morning. You might wonder how the manager managed to find anyone to do that kind of work, but you have to remember that there were certain perks to the job. The harvest time was ruled over by the local fertility gods, and they always granted all the workers a certain amount of license. Basically, everyone just knew that what happened on the threshing floor stayed on the threshing floor. And yes, sometimes a lot happened on that threshing floor. First of all, everyone knew that harvest time meant that large numbers of men were gathered together and actually had some wages to spend. Prostitutes. Women, who were desperate to earn something, and had no other options for work, would come from far and wide to sell their bodies to the workers at the end of the day. But there were never enough prostitutes to go around, and they tended to only offer themselves to the higher class workers or overseers, who had more money to spare. For the great mass of the workers, there was another option, though. The ancient law among the Hebrews was that harvesters were not to be overly thorough while harvesting. They didn't harvest the stalks at the end of the rows or in the corners of the field, and they didn't pick up the stalks that they dropped. So, when the harvesters had gone through, there was always a fair bit of grain left in the field. And the poor folks who lived in the area would be allowed to come in and harvest some food for themselves. And I know that that sounds like it might have been a bother, having lots of poor people coming and going into your fields, but you are forgetting one thing. In most cases, the poorest of the poor were women, widows and orphans, most of them. They were not allowed to own or inherit property. They were not allowed to do any respectable work, and most of them would have killed themselves before resorting to becoming prostitutes. They were about the most vulnerable people in the entire society, and most of them were women, young women. Now, put that together with the threshing-floor rule? and you will begin to understand how the manager managed to find the worst ruffians to do his work. Throughout harvest time, the night was filled with cries and screams as women who had no defenders were harassed, violated, and raped. Sometimes the only sound that was louder was the laughter of the men or the noise of their brawling as they drank and fought over who would have the next turn on their prey of the night. The overseer was a decent man, at least decent enough that he sometimes felt bad for the women, that he would hear whimpering long after the men had fallen into a drunken stupor, and for the ones that he saw limping and bruised the next morning. But what was he going to do? If he prevented it, how would he ever find enough men to get the job done? So he just did what had always been done. He turned a blind eye and a deaf ear. And he just tried to get some sleep for himself at night. It was the second day of the harvest, and the reapers were in one of Boaz's fields further out from Bethlehem, when, late in the morning, the landowner came out to visit the harvesters at their work. After the traditional greetings had been dispensed with, Boaz pulled the overseer to one side for a private word. "'You realize,' he said, "'I know what goes on in the fields.' And on the threshing floor at night? The women who are raped and beaten? It is not good. It is not what Yahweh wants. The overseer was taken aback. No one had ever spoken to him so openly about such things before. And for a moment he was worried. What? "'You want me to tell the guys to cut it out?' he said. "'I, uh, uh, I don't know. "'Oh, no, 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 no,' no! laughed Boaz. "'Nothing like that. "'It's just that there is this one woman I noticed as I came in. "'The one down there, at the end of the row, "'wearing some kind of foreign dress. "'Do you know who she is?' As it turned out, the overseer did know. He tried to make a point when the poor folks came along to glean in the fields of asking them about their families if he didn't already know. That one? She's a foreigner. That's why she's dressed funny. She comes from Moab. I see, replied Boaz. And whose is she? Oh, she's not a slave, my lord. She is a widow. She came to this country with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi? The wife of my kinsman? I had heard that he had died at Moab. Oh, poor girl. She must have been through a lot. Listen, I, I want you and the boys to lay off her, would you? I mean there are plenty of other women out there today can't you just leave her in peace (laughs) you old dog laughed the overseer you want her for yourself don't you the fact that boaz's face turned a bright red meant that he really didn't need to answer that question Boaz did manage to talk with the young woman before the day's work was over. He stammered and hummed and hawed, which was very out of character for him. But he managed to share some of his lunch with her and to let her know that she should return to glean in one of his fields the next day. After they had eaten, he gave specific instructions to the workers that no one should touch her and that they should be particularly sloppy when she was following them and leave plenty of extra stocks for her to pick up. So it was that at the end of the day, the young woman, whose name was Ruth, went home with a few extra bags of grain for her mother-in-law. She really didn't understand why that was, but she told everything that had happened to her to Naomi. Boaz? You're sure his name is Boaz? Oh, this is just too good to be true. Ruth looked at her mother-in-law dubiously. She didn't know what she was so happy about. To be honest... She'd gotten more of a creepy vibe than anything else from the wealthy landowner. "'Don't you understand?' continued Naomi. "'This could be our only chance to get my husband's land back, and yours, of course.' "'But but you said that we couldn't get the land back,' replied Ruth. "'That they wouldn't let us have it because we're only women and we don't have any sons.' "'Yes, that's right,' said Naomi. "'Only a man, a close relative of my dead husband, can possibly claim it. "'And that's exactly what Boaz is, a close kinsman.' (laughs) "'So let him have it,' sighed Ruth. "'What good is that to us?' "'Naomi lifted one finger. "'Ah, but there is one more thing.' The claim will only be truly valid if he... Well, let's just say that that is where you come in, my dear. Ruth still didn't completely understand, but she had come to love her mother-in-law very much. She was really the only person that she had anymore. She knew that she would do whatever Naomi told her to do, and clearly... Naomi had a plan. Okay, Ruth, this is what you're going to do. You go and glean again tomorrow, but don't come home at the end of the day. Instead, you are to go to Boaz's threshing floor. It is the highest piece of land around here, and you've probably seen a great cloud of chaff wafting from there all day today. Ruth nodded. She knew the place that Naomi was talking about. She also knew the stories that were told about threshing floors. When she was growing up in Moab, her family had always told her that she was never to go anywhere near a threshing floor at harvest time. She could not help but allow some of her misgivings to show on her face as she said, I will, Mother, but why should I go there? "'Boaz's servants will pitch a tent for him there at the end of the day. "'You are to go into that tent after dark. "'Boaz will have had a lot to drink. "'He'll probably not even notice when you come in, "'but you will go in and uncover his feet. "'Do you understand what I mean?' "'Ruth was puzzled. "'His, his feet?' Well, no, no, not his feet, you silly girl. I keep forgetting. You're a Moabite. You people are vulgar. Maybe you don't know that we Hebrews, we don't actually say the names of, uh you know, certain male body parts. Ruth was now horrified. His penis? You want me to uncover his penis? Well, if you insist on using such vulgar Moabite terms, yes, Naomi huffed. And then you are to lie down by his feet? His penis, Ruth interjected dryly. Yes, and, well, after that, just... Pay attention to his feet. Believe me, his uh, his feet will tell you exactly what to do. Ruth really could not believe what her mother-in-law was saying to her. But she also knew how desperate the two of them had been since they had returned to Bethlehem. If Boaz had not sent her home that very day with extra grain, they probably would have gone to bed very hungry. She wasn't very happy, but she knew that she would have to defer to the wisdom of the older woman. She nodded and said that she would do it. Very good, my dear. Now go wash and put on your best dress. Boaz seems to have a bit of a fetish for your strange Moabite fashion sense. You will see this will all turn out for the best. Ruth had to ask one question as she left. "'How can you be so sure that this will work, Mother?' "'Well, my dear,' replied Naomi as she lifted her head in a display of pride, "'how do you think I met your father-in-law?' had been a long hard day of work in the fields and on the threshing floor the overseer had spent the day settling disputes stopping fights and cajoling men to work without ceasing but they had managed to get a lot of work done and if the weather cooperated they might even get the rest of the crop off the next day and finish the threshing the day after that he was exhausted. But for some strange reason he couldn't sleep, and ended up walking about the threshing floor and enjoying the night breezes. The noise from the men and their women had settled down to a dull roar, punctuated by the urgent grunts and groans of the rutting. The moon had set, so there was little light, apart from the glowing embers of a few fires, So, at first, he almost didn't see the form of the young woman in the Moabite dress, as she silently made her way to the tent that had been pitched for the boss. Of course, once he did see her, he made a point of being distracted by something, or rather nothing, that he saw in the opposite direction. He idly hummed an old tune of the people, and then began to sing it softly. The melody of the old song has sadly been lost to the ages, but the words have somehow endured. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of night. I had put off my garment, How could I put it on again? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved thrust his hand into the opening. My inmost being yearned for him. Ruth heard the overseer's song waft towards her in the evening breeze as she slipped past the tent flap as she made out the words her face flushed redder and redder somehow it made it all that much worse that this stranger was clearly communicating to her without even deigning to look at her that he knew exactly what she was there for it was very dark in the tent and it took quite some time for her eyes to adjust. She stood for several minutes, frozen, terrified to move, terrified of everything that might await her in that tent. She still didn't know what she thought of this man, Boaz. He had been generous to her, for sure, but something in his manner made her feel like he had been acting not really out of the kindness of his heart. She was a little afraid of what he really wanted from her. Finally, she could make out the bundle of blankets to her left and hear the soft sound of his breathing. Well, she supposed, it was now or never. She crawled over until she sat at his feet, saw one big, broad toe sticking out towards her. Ever so gently, she lifted back the bedclothes, until both feet, still dusty from a long day's work, lay before her. She suppressed a sudden, wild laugh, thinking of what Naomi had told her. (laughs) Maybe... Maybe she should just stop here and and see if the feet told her to do anything." But then she sighed. She knew that she could not return to her mother-in-law if she did not dare to lift the blankets higher. It was about more than one night on the threshing floor in the end. Yes, Boaz got his pleasure, and more than a few of his fantasies fulfilled. But he was not satisfied with only that. He also wanted to be able to possess Ruth's dead husband's land outright. He vowed that Ruth would be his wife within days, and so it came to pass. Was Ruth happy with Boaz? Well, that wasn't really the kind of question you asked, was it? Wasn't it enough to know that Boaz was happy with her? And besides, when a year later Ruth did finally have a child, a boy that Naomi called by the name of Obed, she did take a great deal of comfort and joy in her son. Naomi and Ruth would live and prosper. Obed would grow up to claim the land that his grandfather had farmed. What more could a woman ask for? Not much, really. Not much at all. The story of Ruth is often told as a romantic tale. A story about when Boaz met Ruth, with mother-in-law Naomi acting as a benevolent matchmaker. But when I look closer at the story, I am not so sure that we ought to see it like that. Once you look past the euphemisms, the story is quite explicit, and dripping with sexuality for one thing. I hope that no one was offended by the tone of this story, but I really believe that all of that sexual innuendo is very present in the story as written, and that we have tended to cover it up with our modern readings. And as for the Overseer's Song, if that sounded extremely explicit, just know that I did not write that at all. The words are taken directly from the Song of Solomon in the fifth chapter. I did not mess with the New Revised Standard Translation at all. But this is about more than just sexual content. Around the edges of the story, there seem to be all sorts of unsavory things going on. Women are being harassed. People are winking at what we would call sexual harassment, or worse. Ruth and Naomi are extremely vulnerable people. They have no resources, and they are living in a society that gives them very few ways to look after their own needs. They are at the mercy of powerful men who apparently do not hesitate to use their power to get whatever they want from powerless women. This realization makes it hard for me to see Boaz as a good guy. Yes, in the end, he does seem to turn out to be a decent husband to Ruth and father to her son, but that seems to come in spite of his original intentions that seem to be somewhat less than honorable. The real heroes of this story are clearly the women, but... They win by embracing their vulnerability and using whatever they have in their powerless state to get the upper hand over those who would abuse them. Good for them, I suppose. But wouldn't it be better if they had just not been deprived of any agency over their own lives in the first place? Thanks for listening to this third episode in the second season of Retelling the Bible. I am your storyteller, W. Scott McCanless. If you enjoyed this story, please do come back next week for another take on an ancient biblical story. Tell other people and rate and review this episode on iTunes or on some other platform to help other people find it. The After Dark theme music is Ultra Lounge and the mood music for this episode is Mystery Sax Music is by Kevin McLeod, is licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at incompetech.com Send your requests comments and questions to at Retelling Bible on Twitter or to our Facebook page Retelling the Bible Show notes and commentary for this episode will be posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. See you next week.